We continue in our series today on uh, one, and it is a series that I trust that has been uh, eye-opening to you, applicable as far as the, the, the these days, <laughs> what's been going on. But uh, let me begin, though, by acquainting you with a term you may not be familiar with, maybe. Blind sight. Blind sight. Now, I'm not talking blind spot. That's when you are driving and you didn't see that car over to the left of you when you tried to merge over. Not that. And I'm not talking about blindsided, where uh, a football player takes out another guy from the side, didn't even, the guy didn't even see him coming, he was blindsided. Not talking about that. Blind sight is a, a phenomenon where at times a person who is blind still has a sense of what is happening around them. Somehow that is possible. And, 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 and don't misunderstand what blind sight is. It's not, again, a reference to other senses becoming more heightened. And blind sight is not a learned behavior over time. For instance, why is it that if you are asleep and someone silently enters your room, you can sense they are there, they're in there? Now, don't freak out now tonight when you go to bed. I don't want to give you a nightmare. Or why is it that when you feel like someone is staring at you, you can turn around and find that that someone is staring at you. You just, you have that sense sometimes. If you've ever experienced that, then you've experienced blind sight. There are no medical or, uh, or physiological explanations for these occurrences, but somehow those who do not have visual eyesight, when they are tested, are somehow able to guess or predict where something is located. It's very strange. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11 today. And this is known as the faith chapter. And you see, there's something that we can't physically see. And yet this room is filled with people who have experienced it. You've all experienced in some way faith in your life like that. And I'm talking about faith. Faith is, is something we can't see in front of us, yet we have experienced that. This is blind sight in action. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. I like also, too, what Stephanie placed in the bulletin there in the front page of your bulletin. Uh, now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's a great translation there as well, too. But faith is being sure of what we can't see. There may be no medical or, or physiological explanation for it, but as we grow in our understanding of faith, we'll, we'll learn there is a spiritual and logical explanation for our faith. When it comes to faith, many today are, are quite skeptical of Christianity. They're, they're really quite skeptical of that. They are skeptical of God's word. Can God really provide a peace that passes under understanding? Really? That can happen? Is that possible when I'm struggling with doubt or facing disappointments? I'm sure you probably have plenty of people around you who are in that boat, in doubt or facing disappointment, especially in the last 12 or 14, 13 months. <laughs> and uh, you have those people who you uh, have all around you in that way. And if we're honest, we'll admit that even within this group here today, there are many, many who would say their faith isn't so strong right now due to the, the, the discouragement that, that, that they are experiencing right now. Those who are online especially as well too. And so, you know, like I said, pan the pandemic has caused us probably to have that opp opportunity to have our faith really tested. And we, we struggle sometimes. Maybe it's not as strong. 
And the reasons for those feelings may be very different. It might be because you are very new to the faith. It might also be uh, you know, because you're just in, in the process and developing as a Christian and follower of Christ. It may be because your faith has never been tried or tested. You haven't had those situations as much. And for others, they, you know, they may have a small faith due to circumstances. Maybe they have been looking for a job for months. Justin just left us right now, and he's, he's without a job right now. We've been praying for him that he would find one as well, too. Or maybe their, their faith has been watered down by a group of friends who are always making cutting remarks about Christianity or the church. It's just always, always jabbing at you about that. Maybe, uh, maybe their faith has been undercut by someone they perceive to be brilliant, but who doesn't have faith. <laughs> That's a smart guy. Yeah, he's pretty stupid for being smart, you know, because they don't have the faith to be able to trust in God. And, 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 and they think, well, they must know more than I do. And over time, it starts to chip away at their faith. If that's smart, they must know something about what I'm going through. It, maybe my faith isn't exactly where it needs to be. And, and so we get detoured. Today, we will deal with uh, two reasons that, uh, that tend to initially diminish our faith. It's doubt and discouragement, as you've seen in the bulletin and in the title. Some doubt God's power and personal involvement in their lives. Really, is, is God really going to help in this situation? Is God really going to uh, come through? But let's see together how our faith can be strengthened and allow us to overcome these couple obstacles of these. Overcoming doubt. An atheist-turned-Christian author, Lee Strobel, you've probably read plenty of his books, he writes, there is no doubt about it. Doubt scares many Christians. They stare into the darkness at night, pestered by vague uncertainties, and persistent questions that make them feel anxious and vulnerable, almost as if they were experiencing spiritual vertigo. <laughs> doubt. Doubt. From the outset, let's acknowledge there will be times when doubt creeps in. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And please understand, <clears throat> that's okay. That happens. And it's part of your journey as, as a Christian part of your journey as you grow in Christ because you need to confront those moments and okay I kind of I'm not sure it's going to happen and you work through those God helps you through that and some would even go so far as to say they believe that doubt is a necessity for faith to develop if you don't doubt some areas then how how will that how will your faith be strengthened in this if you look back in your Bible at Hebrews 11 the first uh, three verses here and again, the first verse we already read, I'll read it again. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So the Hebrew writer here is challenging those Christians to have their eyes opened to what they couldn't see. To start looking for evidence where maybe... They had missed it before. Someone once said, if you've never had a question about your faith, you probably don't have much faith. <laughs> we question our faith at times, and that is normal. And we are especially vulnerable, though, to doubt if we don't know what it is that we believe, let alone why we believe it. The key is whether the doubt leads to belief or unbelief. That's kind of the, the, the moment 
Where's the tipping point going to happen on this, in this doubt area? Most Christians think doubt is the opposite of faith, but that's not true. And this is an important distinction here. You've got to understand the opposite of faith is unbelief. <laughs> opposite of faith is unbelief, not doubt. Being a Christian means that at times we will have some doubts to work through. A faith that has never been tested really cannot be trusted. You need to go through those moments and be able to have it tested through and, 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 and be stronger for it at the end. An oak tree doesn't grow strong if it never encounters wind and storms and elements. And it is, it is adversity that allows it to grow and strengthen and flourish. And the same thing for the Christian. Just think back on these last 13 months. You've had the opportunity for your faith to be strengthened. But you know, there was that, where was the tipping point? Belief? or unbelief, where was your doubt taking you in this? You may recall when John the Baptist, he's rotting in prison, in a prison cell, while Jesus is out preaching to the crowds. Notice that John didn't just sit and sulk. He didn't just have some philosophical debate with the disciples. He sent word to Jesus and had his friends ask, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Now, this is John the Baptist. <laughs> Doubt should drive you to go on a spiritual search for truth. Lee Strobel went on that. He doubted. He took hold and figured, tried to figure things out. When Jesus is questioned by John the Baptist's friends and told that John wants to know if Jesus really is the Messiah, I want you to listen to what Jesus says, his response to all this. He didn't say, yeah, he was there at my baptism. He heard the voice of my heavenly father, yet he questions my identity. Oh, boy. And he didn't say, he knows the Old Testament prophecies, and he sees me fulfilling them, yet he doubts? Come on, John. Instead of taking him to task for his questions and doubt, Jesus says in Luke chapter 7, verse 28, I tell you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. That's his response in that way that John is a very great guy. His faith is strong. So evidently, it's okay for us to go through a brief season of wrestling with the hard questions of life. And I'm sure you've had your share of hard questions in this life. And John the Baptist was honest about his doubt. But you know, not everyone is. Not everyone is honest. Some claim a belief in Christianity because they don't want to rock the boat. <laughs> they pretend to believe and just kind of fake the whole church thing because they don't want to upset their parents or, you know, anger Christian leaders or, or alienate Christian friends. But later when their faith is challenged by a, a scoffing professor or an unjust suffering, or, or disappointment in a spiritual leader, their weakened spiritual foundation may begin to crumble. Maybe you had a strong belief at one time, but your faith is fading fast. Some feel like you can't believe the Bible and be intellectual, <laughs> but they have never invested the time to do a thorough study of God's Word. I, 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 I say to those people, dig into it. Dig into God's word. 
have the intellectual integrity to be able to substantiate why you don't believe it. Put it to the test and see what happens. Since we don't have Jesus in the, in the flesh in our day, the Lord has left us a written record, his word, the Bible. We have this. And there's no better place to look to understand God and his plan for us and no better place to look to get a clear picture of Jesus than in the pages of God's word. The Apostle John is, is begging, he's just begging for doubters to examine the evidence. In John chapter, chapter 20, verse 31, he says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Look at God's word. Look at these things. See how it proves this. See how you, you, can, you can see this. There is a difference between doubt and unbelief. Evangelist and teacher Oswald Chambers, best known for the devotional, My Utmost Course Highest, of course, and I'm sure you have read that many times. He said, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he is thinking. <laughs> it's not that he's wrong. He's probably thinking through some things. In John the Baptist's case, his, his question was not born of willful unbelief, but of doubt nourished by physical and emotional strain. There are two types of, of doubters. There are the dishonest doubters, and there are the honest doubters. Dishonest doubters don't want to believe. It's a doubt of convenience. You know, if we don't believe, then we don't have to change our behavior. <laughs> so, hey, you know, let's take the easy road, not do this. Someone has said an atheist can't find God for the same reason a thief can't find a policeman. <laughs> Most atheists and agnostics aren't searching for God in Jeremiah. They just, they just don't want to. Put on the blinders. Don't want, to, don't want to see some things that just keep on going my way. <clears throat> Jeremiah 29, the Lord offers assurance that if you seek him with all of your heart, you will find him. But the truth is, many don't want to find God because it means they will have to change their life. They think, oh, there's some thing, there are all these things I won't be able to do anymore. Think of all the things you'll be able to do. Huh. Well, people don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them and what they're doing in their life. Having a casual friendship with Jesus but not allowing him to change us goes beyond honest doubt. It's outright rejection. And like the Pharisees did with Jesus, dishonest doubters ask questions only to try, try and trap him. They're, they're not looking for answers. They're merely trying to support their lack of belief. You know, if a person says, I'm not sure I believe, but never investigates the claims of Christianity, never studies the Bible, never goes to church, never fellowships with Christian people, their doubt is pretty much self-imposed. That's dishonest doubt. Because they aren't truly in search of truth. But there's also honest doubt. These doubters ask questions because they want to learn about truth. I've been there. Very onset with Becky and I when we were in college. She comes from a Christian background, raised in the church. I didn't. In fact, I think I was only about maybe two years old as a Christian at that time. And so she's, we're talking about things and we're you know, getting to know each other and kind of liking each other's company. And 
Then we get on the uh, the topic of abortion. And she says, so what do you think about, uh, so she's kind of going through these checklists. What do you think about abortion? It's like, well, I don't know. And she's like, what? You don't know? And I was like, whoa, what did I do? What did I do? And I said, no, I, I'm not sure. I got to figure, I haven't, I haven't looked into it. I want to make sure I make a good decision. So yeah, I had a little doubt there because I wasn't, but it caused me to search further for the truth. Honest doubting. That's what John the Baptist did. He wants to know the evidence that is out there rather than only listening to the whispers of the devil. Remember, Satan is the father of lies. He will try and get you off center at any way he can. He's the master of what people call gaslighting. <laughs> but God always loves talking, uh, talking, uh, talking through and giving truth in this way. And, and, and bringing that truth, which Satan intends for evil and using it for good. God brings those moments together. And he uses what Satan thinks he's going to get away with, cause some issues, and brings about for good. And if, if your doubts and questions lead you to deeper study, then wonderful. It will inspire you and give you an assurance that, that Satan himself can't even shake. The Bible gives a warning, though, an encouragement to those whose faith is solid and strong. It says in Jude chapter 1, verse 22, Be merciful to those who doubt. <laughs> Becky was merciful, by the way. <laughs> she helped me along the way and uh, guided me in that as well. But why, why you know, Jude one twenty two? why be merciful to those who doubt? Because many, maybe here today, as well as myself, can testify that if you're, you're patient with honest doubters, in time they can become the strongest believers. They're searching for truth. They're actually searching for truth. Now, don't, don't miss this, though. Those who doubt can't just swim in that pool forever, okay? I'm just trying to figure out the truth here. I, I need a little more research. I need to figure some things out. Now, it's not a dishonest thing. Maybe they're just kind of dragging their heels a little bit. But the doubter must take some steps forward. If you want to remove the darkness of doubt from your soul, you have to go where the light shines. You've got to go after the light. You've got to go after the truth. Read literature that nurtures your faith. Take classes from respected believers. Ask questions. Spend the weekends regularly attending worship in person online. Associate with people who have, who have a genuine faith. Maybe they've struggled with certain areas and they've gotten through and you can learn from them. Most important of all, read the evidence in the scriptures. <laughs> you can't get away from this. You've got to read your Bible. But those steps can help you overcome doubt. Now, there's another obstacle I've talked about that can diminish our faith and that we must also conquer, and that's uh, disappointment. We all face disappointment and discouragement. Jesus told us in John chapter 16, verse 33, that we would have trials and we'd have tribulations and that things wouldn't always go our way. And he was right. <clears throat> in fact, probably you could label... Uh, the year 2020, John 16:33. But many people have been through some incredible pain, but they didn't. They, they don't allow uh, because they didn't allow a diag diagnosis. They, they didn't. They didn't uh, allow a divorce or death of someone they loved to define how they live. They didn't let those externals guide them in that way. 
Instead, they face their disappointment, draw closer to God, and lean on their faith in, in the midst of the trial. Challenges, disappointments, and suffering will either drive you to the Lord or it will drive you from the Lord, one way or the other. And the thing is, it's up to you. <laughs> it's up to you where that's going to go. Maybe the discouragements and disappointments you're facing have begun to disillusion you in your view of God. Is God really working here? Is it, uh, did he take a vacation? What's going on? Maybe you prayed for a um, healthy baby, as, as your friends have, but you aren't able to get pregnant, or your baby has a, has a disability. Maybe you have lost a child, and you look toward heaven and say, you know, Lord, don't you understand the parent is supposed to precede the child in death? not vice versa. It's those situations maybe that you you come today and think, this is where I'm at, and this is what's going on. How is this going to work out? Why do we live in a world of suffering and disappointing days and painful nights? You know, maybe, maybe because part of it is, is God wants to teach us this truth. There is a greater good that comes out of disappointment. When we go through disappointment, there's a greater good that comes out of that. Paul talks about it in Romans 8. It, it will probably sound familiar to you. This is a great chapter to read it uh, if, if you're going through a difficult season. It will remind you of the big picture, really. The external picture. Let me call two, two verses to your attention in Romans 8. The first is Romans 8, verse, verse 18. And it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now I encourage you to etch those words in your heart. Mark it on your Bible, highlight it, put notes in your bulletin, whatever it is. So when you go through a difficult season, God's word can remind you that your temporary afflictions are no comparison to what God has in store for you. We're going through some difficult times, but you know what? It's not going to compare to anything but the glory that will be revealed to us. People quote it a lot when they are facing struggles and they need the hope that comes from the Scripture. The second verse I want to draw your attention to in the same chapter, 10 verses down, the Apostle Paul says in verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. There is a greater good that can come out of suffering. God, in, in his infinite wisdom, knows that suffering matures us. His spirit, who lives inside of every Christian, is able to comfort and sustain us. Through your suffering, you can re relate to Jesus. You're, you're connecting to Jesus. And the more you look like Jesus, the more people will be attracted to Christianity. They'll wonder, what in the world's going on? How can you do these things? How can you work through this difficult time in your life? There is a greater good that comes out of suffering. It has to be a part of the recipe that makes us look like Jesus. Now, wouldn't it be great, though, if you didn't have to go through all that? Wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to do the sufferings? But really, when you've gone through those, didn't it, didn't it kind of isolate you from all the distractions and everything else, and you just kind of centered in on God? You said, what's going on here, Lord? Maybe you had a little doubt. Help me through this time, Lord. And you can look back on those moments and go, yeah, that, that was actually a, a milestone in my, my faith. Going through a difficult time and 
came out of it stronger on the other side. If our goal in this life is to grow in Christ-likeness, to grow into his image, and if suffering becomes part of the recipe to accomplish this, then rather than questioning God, we should thank God and trust that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, not thank him for those difficult moments. Not thank him for the death in your life. Not thank him for the accidents that happen. But thank God that he is in control of this and bringing this about for good. Don't, don't say, yay, yay, I got in a car accident and uh, now I'm in the hospital and I can't walk. No. But thank God that he will bring that about for good in your life. So what are you, whatever you've faced or, or are facing, disappointment doesn't mean it's the end. This isn't the end. Remember, never place a period where God intended for there to be a comma. It will continue on. Your story isn't finished yet. God is still writing that. This isn't the end. Your pain and trial are not the final chapter. You have hope because of Jesus, and, and that hope extends beyond this world. Following Christ doesn't mean you'll get the promotion at work. <laughs> it doesn't mean you'll find that special someone. It doesn't mean you'll never be diagnosed with a disease. Jesus himself tells us to expect challenges, but he promises to walk beside us and be there for us. In his book, You'll Get Through This, Max Lucado, he writes, God hasn't forgotten you. Just the opposite. He has chosen to train you. The Hebrew verb for test comes from a word that means to take a keen look at, to look to choose. Dismiss the notion that God does not see your struggle. Quite the contrary, God is fully engaged. Max Lucado says, He sees the needs of tomorrow and accordingly uses your circumstances to create the test of today. Don't see your struggle as an interruption to life, but as preparation for life. Adversity and those times away from the crowds are some of the best classrooms of learning. Sometimes God prepares us for service, not so much in the, in the glare of publicity, but in the obscurity of, of gloom. <laughs> King David, he was out with the sheep. Right? Joseph, he was in prison. Moses, he was in Midian. And Gideon was in a wine press for fear of the enemy. And God used those people in incredible ways. God always seems to find his servants and manifest his will for his people when they are alone. And it's a lot easier to get our attention when we, we are away from the noise and hurry of this world. We're not distracted by all the concerns and everything else going on. We just, we're isolated, set apart, and here you are now, time with God. <laughs> For those of you who have gone through painful moments of life, you look back on it, and you might say, well, I never would have chosen this pain, but somehow, because of this adversity and suffering, it has changed my life for the better. But let's be real honest. <laughs> These words can't be said in the first few weeks or months of your painful, painful loss. After all, it is a process. But through the weeks and months, God is able to work for good. Disappointments and painful experiences of life can, in time, actually deepen and mature your faith and draw you closer to Christ. 
we know of a person in our congregation as well, and I've asked her to come and give testimony. Chris is going to come and speak right now and just share how God is working in her life and how that has happened to come about since Tim's passing. It's a very different perspective from here than it is from up there. <laughs> when I was in college, I took a psychology class for one of my general ed requirements, and all I re really remember from that course is a study we did on the stages of grief. And those were denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. With one phone call from my daughter on January 16, 2019, my reality shifted completely. And not just for me, for Sydney and Jake and everybody who loved him. I know over the last two and a half years, I've gone through each of these stages of grief. I don't know that I really went through the bargaining stage with God because Tim wasn't alive when I got home, but I did bargain all the way home because I didn't know the full extent of the circumstances, only that there was a medical emergency and I needed to come home. Even though I have accepted the loss of Tim, I still find myself bouncing back and forth in some of these stages. It's not that I no longer feel the pain of loss, but that I no longer am resisting the reality of the situation. It's really hard to cry when you have a mask on. <laughs> Excuse me. I've read a number of things since Tim died regarding faith and grief. My faith has been an incredible comfort, and it has brought me closer to God. But I know for some, loss can cause them to question their faith as they try to make sense of the death. In one of the articles I read, the expression, those who believe need not grieve. The author of that article pointed out that although it's probably uttered with the best of intentions, like he's in a better place or it's part of God's plan, it can cause the person grieving to feel almost guilty for their grief, like they're lacking in faith. Experiencing grief does not indicate a lack of grief. Excuse me, a lack lack of faith, just as being happy does not indicate that I am still not grieving. I think what God has taught me these past two years is how to be a better friend to people who are going through loss of many different kinds, not just death, and that is simply listening more, being present, and allowing them to express whatever's on their heart without judgment, just saying things like, I'm really sorry you are hurting. I believe with all my heart that that's what God does for me. He listens. He brings people around me to comfort me when I'm struggling, and I know he cries with me because he knows pain too. And I just wanted to close with a verse that we just happened to um, read in this morning's Sunday school class out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verse 9. I'm going to substitute the word you for I. 
Then I will call, and the Lord will answer. I will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Chris. I think it gives us a real good sense of the discouragement, disappointment, and troubles in life, how God can work in a person's life still. God had no intention of letting Chris walk her painful journey alone at all. And God has no intention of letting you walk your painful road alone either. We are all going through pain. We all have gone through that, painful situations. What is painful today will produce character for tomorrow. You can't see him, but he is present, and that is blindsight. In those moments when you find yourself in the middle of the, of the doubts and disappointments of life, remember, again, you are not alone. There is a compassionate God who walks beside you. And for the believer, there's the Spirit of God who dwells within you. When you're feeling discouraged by disappointments or disoriented by doubt, remember that as you emerge from your uncertainties, you may very well possess a, a heartier faith than before it was put to test. If you have doubts or questions, pain or discouragement, I hope you don't leave this place without maybe talking to someone first. It's good to be able to talk with one another in that way. Maybe you have somebody that you're able to do that with. I, I trust you do. If not, um, you know, please don't leave without doing that. You're not alone, and, and we want to be here to help. We want to be a safe place, be able to have people grow in Christ and deepen their faith. It's a journey, and a journey that you don't need to do alone. We can do this together. I'm going to have Annie and Don coming up. They're going to share one, lead us in one last song. And as they come up, I just want to say with those doubts and disappointments that might be going through your head and your heart, we can come to Jesus just as we are, like this song we're going to be singing says. And let him take care of us. Let him take those, those doubts, those situations in our minds and, 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 and turn them towards faith. And we can trust in him for those. So as we sing this song, trust that can be a commitment for you to be able to just come to him just as you are freely like that.